Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Mind the Health Gap. This month, the theme is addictions, and this week we'll be looking at gambling. Our guest is Matt Zarb Cousin, who is the director of not-for-profit campaign Clean Up Gambling. Matt has also spearheaded the campaign for Fairer Gambling, and is also a former spokesperson for Jeremy Corbyn. Welcome, Matt. Hiya. Thanks for having me. How's it going? We're great. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, sorry. Did I cut you off? Not at all. No, no. Um, it's, all, it's all good. I, I, no, it's good to be here. And, and it's great that gambling, I think, slowly is starting to be considered as a public health issue. And mm-hmm. it's good that, you know, this is when you're talking about addictions and public health, that, that gambling is, is one of the things that you think of now, which is, I think, good progress given where we were 10 years ago. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, this was very much inspired by a talk that Mohammed and I went to at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Um, and that's why like, we're quite interested to speak to people like yourselves and understand how we could frame it and keep it framed as a public health issue. Um, so I'm just going to start, if that's okay with you. Yeah, go for it. Great. Sure. So um, how would you define gambling? Uh, well, I would define it differently to how it's defined in legislation. So in the legislation, mm-hmm. in the law, gambling law, it's defined as a wager for money or money's worth. Right. But I think actually it needs to be, it needs to be adapted. The, the definition needs to be broadened to a wager for something of value. Because mm-hmm. now we've got these new types of gambling, these new forms of gambling like loot boxes on video games, where right. ch- children are effectively spending... Uh, you know, five pounds a go to try and win a, a player on FIFA Ultimate Team, and the, mm-hmm. the chances of getting a, a good player are like less than a hundred to one. So, um, so yes, I think it's really important that the the definition of gambling I think evolves over time, and the, the, right. the legislation and the laws have to be updated constantly to to reflect that there are newer forms of gambling that are emerging. And um, but the the biggest the biggest profit generator for the industry is online slots. And right, online, o- o- online, online slots are the things that they really want you to, to, to want to drive all of their customers, wherever they, wherever they come to the site to gamble on football or to gamble mm-hmm. on anything else or racing. They wanted to get, want to get them on the slots because that, that generates 2.2 billion pounds a year. And oh a, a huge, a huge proportion of people that use those, those products get addicted. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's no limits to the stake. It's completely unlimited. So people can, when they start chasing losses, they can rack up huge amounts of, uh, of losses and debt. Uh, and obviously that's something that we want to prevent. Wow. Okay. Um, see, I didn't know it was that to that extent, but okay. Um, you know, as you, mes- as you mentioned, gambling does lead to a lot of multifactorial like, issues, including individual, social, and environmental harms. Mm-hmm. I would say... Um, I, w- I want to ask you, what would you say are the main gambling-related harms and how, how do you think they further exacerbate existing social inequalities, especially for ethnic minorities? Uh, the existing gambling-related harms, I would say, are, well, I think there's, there's two, there's, there's two mm-hmm. layers to it. I think that um, getting addicted is, is a gambling-related harm. I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's... Uh, um, in and of itself, it's a, it, it causes um, mental health problems. It right. causes depre- it causes depression. 
um, mm -hmm. I, I think that it, you know it can um, yeah it can create huge problems with you know a person's productivity, a person's personal relationships. All of these things are harms that are associated with the addiction, um, with the gambling itself. So the actual activity of gambling, um, that's what that's and the persistent. You know, if you can imagine, like it's like a repetitive thing. People chasing losses, constant ups and downs. Right. The engagement with the engagement with that product, often the escapism, the adrenaline, mm -hmm. all of these things, all of these things cause mental health mm -hmm. issues. And then there's the consequences of it, which are the financial harms, the harms to society if the person commits a crime uh, to to fund the addiction, the harm to family who rely on that person to support them. So they're, they're the consequences. So I would I would I think the first the first as aspect is not actually um, talked about enough. We talk about the consequences of gambling harm a lot. We don't talk about the act, what it does to people's mental health and what you know the process of how recovering from that can really take you on a, a quite an erratic journey. I've been on it myself um, in terms of like how you, uh, how you recover from it mentally. Um, and I think that when we're talking about, so gambling has the highest rate of suicide among um, uh, event compared to any other addiction, drugs, alcohol, anything like that. And, and when we talk about it, we think it's because of the consequences of the gambling. And that may be true in some cases. It may be because the person's got into a huge amount of debt, or it may be because, you know, they've, uh, they've lost relationships as a result of it. But, but I think a huge proportion, um, and this is borne out by, uh, you know, studies by Gambling With Lives, which is a charity about uh, trying to highlight the link between gambling and suicide, um, is because of the actual activity of gambling itself and what it does to people. And there was a, uh, a young man who recently, not recently, a couple of years ago, took his own life called Chris Bruni. This case was in the, highlighted in the Daily Mail because the company was sanctioned by the regulator and then closed down before it had to pay the fine. Um, and this particular individual, Chris, he wasn't in debt or anything. He just had a really long gambling session. The company itself was encouraging him to gamble more by sending him free bets and, you know, in inducing him. And, uh, and it was, it was pretty, pretty horrific stuff. Um, but it was, the, it, it was almost as if there was, you know, it wasn't, there, there was something I think in the link between the gambling itself, the activity of the gambling and what it does to people's mental health isn't explored enough. Sorry to sum it up. I just wanted to probe you further on that. Um, you said that you're seeing um, this form of gambling being extended to younger populations via, say, uh, FIFA, Ultimate Team. Could you expand more on that? Because gambling was, to an extent, an issue for adults but now it's the jurisdiction the jurisdiction has been extended to people young kids yeah exactly i think um what is there 55,000 11 to 16 year olds who are addicted to gambling in britain it's a huge amount um obviously uh loot boxes are fairly recent fairly recent phenomenon and the video game industry doesn't like to think of themselves as gambling or providing gambling products but that's exactly what they're doing if you're a young person and you spend 80, 90% of your leisure time online, which is what a lot of young people do now, playing video games, of course you're going to 
see anything that you can derive from that game as being inherently valuable. So therefore, if you're spending real money to try and get that thing, then that's a gamble. And this is what I think the legislation doesn't account for. It doesn't account for these newer forms of gambling. And uh, look, I mean, we're, we're, in a, we're in uncharted territory here because we've got a generation now growing up thinking that gambling and watching football and putting a bet on are all part of the same experience. And that's because of the advertising. And young people have become so conditioned to gambling's association with sport and with, with football especially that children as young as six have been sh- in studies in Australia, um, know how to put a bet on, know what odds are, know what these gambling companies um, uh, have a kind of brand loyalty to some of these gambling companies, which is the most horrifying thing. And it, it's, just, it's just very, very similar to what tobacco used to be like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, where there wasn't a lot to differentiate them, the, the companies in terms of the products that they sold. It was just about creating and engendering a brand loyalty and doing, mm-hmm. it from a, doing it from a really young age. So people, when they did get to the age where they could smoke, they had a brand that they felt comfortable with. And, that, and, and that's, that's, that's happening now with gambling. And I think it's so important that when the government comes to reviewing gambling legislation, that it looks at advertising as well. Farid, thank you so much for that. I mean, I totally agree. And I think that a large part of gambling has become incredibly normalized, especially in the way we were exposed to it through advertising, um, the companies like in sports with sponsorships, et cetera. Um, yeah. Part of, I mean, I know this is part of the work you do, but I just want to ask, do you, do you think currently gambling is fair and are there adequate preventative measures and interventions for those affected by gambling? Um, do I think it's fair? No, I don't, because I, I, I think at the moment, um, so this is, this, is, this is genuinely the situation we have at the moment, and it is that if you, if you win, they close or restrict your account. If you are able to get an edge over the, book, over the bookie, over the betting company, for example, if you know a lot about, I don't know, some obscure, like table tennis or something, and you're able to like get an edge over the, the, the betting company and, and, and win, they will close or restrict your account. So it's not possible to win. So on that basis, it's not fair. Um, so what they want to do is drive people towards products, gambling products, where it is impossible to win in the long term. Mathematically, statistically, you cannot win on slots in the long term. They pay back 92%. So on average, over time, you will lose money. So why do they want to push you to these products? Because they know it's guaranteed return for them. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, very resource unintensive. They just put the, the game out there and then people just put money in and that's that. So look, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's fair at all. And I think, um, I think as, as, well, as well as that, they actively, uh, their business models actively require people to get addicted and to lose more than they can afford you know there's more than half of their profits are coming from people who have got gambling problems so this is not it's not a sustainable situation no i can understand that and i mean this is part of the work that you do in your cleanup gambling campaign um you know around fair gambling what just in your words what, what does that mean for you and what is the end goal of your work 
So what it means is that we want, we're not anti-gambling or anything like that. We just think that there is um, a level of consumer protection that is expected in other sectors, in other areas of the economy. That just right. for some for some reason just doesn't apply to gambling. People get people get um, people get screwed over by these mm-hmm. by the, the 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 framework allowed the regulatory framework allows these companies to exploit people and it shouldn't be allowed. And there is absolutely no reason why gambling companies can't wouldn't be able to survive as businesses and thrive as businesses. Um, if you know people could only lose what they could afford there is absolutely no reason why i mean this is an industry it's a sector online gambling that generates five billion pounds profit a year it's huge to put that in proportion tesco's generates about a billion right so we're we're, we're talking about a massive massive sector um Mm -hmm. and and it's it's just there's as i say there's no reason why the end the end game is reducing gambling related harm to as, as low a level as possible. Um, and I think we can do it. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm going to hand you over to Mohammed for the next part, but thank you so much. Thank you. Um, just looking at the gambling act of 2005, which came into in action in 2007 and, um, it basically updated, uh, gambling policy legislation in Great Britain and the three licensing objectives were to prevent gambling, from being a source of crime or disorder or being associated with a crime or disorder and ensuring that gambling is conducted in a fair and open way in children and vulnerable people at the same time. Do you think uh, the vagueness of this act has been exploited by industry and therefore make it hard to enforce tougher policy and legislation? Yeah, I, well, I think, look, it's, it's, it's down to the Gambling Commission to... Um, uphold, ensure the licensing objectives are upheld, and all the all the regulations that they come out with are designed or supposed to help ensure that those licensing objectives are upheld. And they, I think, categorically, they've failed to do that. And I think they've failed to do that because, um, for well, m- multiple reasons. I think that the failure does lie with the Gambling Commission ultimately. Um, yes, the legislation isn't tight enough, but the Gambling Commission um, has allowed this situation to fester. Uh, if it hasn't got the adequate powers to ensure that it can actually provide adequate oversight of the industry, it should have been honest about that a long time ago. It should have said to government, we can't do the things we want to do. It hasn't revoked any licenses of any major operators, despite huge failings, honestly, awful failings. There's no point licensing any companies, having a system where they have to be licensed. If it's easy to get a license and it's difficult to revoke it, it should be the other way around. Um, there's not adequate controls on online, on online stakes, online um, deposits. Uh, affordability checks are a joke. They don't really work. They don't, they're not properly carried out. Money laundering has been allowed to uh, to permeate the entire sector pretty much. It's it, it, every, on every level they've failed. And the legislation, yes, needs to be updated. But what also needs to happen as part of that process is the Gambling Commission needs to be broken up. It needs to be broken up into a, a consumer-facing ombudsman 
a licensing authority, which is what it can do. It can just carry on doing the licensing if it wants to, the Gambling Commission. But there needs to be a, a consumer-facing ombudsman to provide redress for customers who get screwed. And there need needs to be um, health service commissioning, healthcare uh, treatment commissioning run by the NHS or run out of the Department of Health. At the moment, you've got this ridiculous situation where the Gambling Commission has a national strategy to reduce gambling-related harm, but it's their, fa it's their failure to regulate properly that's leading to the gambling-related harm. So it's a complete inherent conflict of interest where they want to pretend everything's okay and they want to pretend, you know, because otherwise it, it, it highlights their own failure. Um, so, yes, more, most important for me is, is not the licensing objectives as such, but how they are upheld. And I think the Gambling Commission has a, a lot to answer for. Perfect. Um, the gambling industry funds research through GambleAware and via voluntary levy. Uh, this is a tactic used by the pharmaceutical and tobacco industry. Uh, to what extent do you think this affects policymaking and just lobbying? Because uh, just as you've seen with the tobacco industry, you've got a lot of scientists working along with uh, the gambling industry and basically um, using evidence-based um, science, essentially, to uh, find loopholes. Yeah, that's right. So what they do is, it's quite clever. Um, they... Uh, want to locate the blame for gambling-related harm solely in the individual. Because if they do so, it absolves them of A, responsibility, and B, any, there's the case to make reforms to the gambling industry um, is, is therefore diminished. You, you just completely focus, and this is where responsible gambling comes from. Responsible gambling is based on something called the Reno model. And the Reno model um, was a... Uh, a study done by a, a guy called Alex Blazinski, who is a very well-known professor in Australia, who takes industry funding. But the purpose of it was to demonstrate to the people of Reno and the legislators there that a new casino, if it opened, wouldn't increase gambling-related harm. What he wanted to show is that problem gambling was a static because it's about just the individual. And this is where it came from. It's the, this is why it's called the Reno model. And it's, and it's been used by the industry globally to effectively argue that it makes no difference the extent to which you liberalise gambling. You'll always have the same constant number of addicts. And therefore, you know, it doesn't matter. We, you don't have to regulate the industry. You know, it's an argument for deregulation. It's a, an attempt, a pseudoscientific attempt to argue for deregulation. And... It's all complete bollocks, and and actually, you know, if you look at uh, if you look at the level of gambling-related harm, if you look at the, the depth of gambling-related harm, and you look at the quantity of gambling-related harm associated with particularly these newer forms of gambling products, you, you know, it's clear this is a nonsense. Um, people that would never have got addicted to gambling have got addicted to gambling because of the nature of these gambling products. So a public health approach has to incorporate the stake, things like structural characteristics of, of gambling products, for example, the stake, the, the speed, content, the accessibility, all of these things, and also the influence of like, cor corporate gambling, the influence of, of the sector and how it encourages and induces people to gamble beyond their means through advertising, through bonuses, 
through their practices, through VIP schemes, so-called VIP schemes, where they try and get people to gamble more and offer them uh, inducements and bonuses and all that sort of stuff. All of these things are, are a factor, and, and we know they work because that's why they do them. So what the, what the Reno model and what the, the gambling, in, gambling friendly researchers do is they just try to talk about the individual. How can we help the individual who is struggling with their gambling? And everything is about responsible gambling and nothing about the responsibility of the industry to offer safe product. In terms of just um, advertising, just your point on advertising, we've seen how the UK has curbed tobacco advertising and promotion. Um, why are they reluctant to do that in, uh, in regards to gambling? Because we see a lot of gambling advertisements before, especially like Premier League, we see them before games, half time. Why are they so reluctant to actually stop these advertisements? So the tobacco ad ban came from the Department of Health. Yep. Because that was the, the department that regulated tobacco. Unfortunately, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport regulates gambling or is in charge of gambling. And the Gambling Commission reports to the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Of course, the S in DCMS is sport and the the resistance and the M is media. So the resistance to these kind of ad bans on gambling are coming from primarily the M and the S. Um, okay. so a lot it's of coming from, yeah, it's coming from the broadcasters. It's coming from Premier League and the football clubs. They're the ones that are really pushing back on it. Actually, um, it, you know, the gambling industry benefits hugely from being able to advertise, of course. There's no question of that. But if there was a blanket ban on advertising, um, it would actually be the established brands, the ones who have the biggest biggest weight to influence public policy, that would probably benefit most because they're already the established brands. They don't need to kind of you know, communicate who they are with the public. The public already knows who they are. So, you know, I, I don't think there'd be a lot of resistance to the ad ban coming from the industry compared to other public health measures. Okay. Um, we're aware that during your time working with the Labour government, uh, during Corbyn's campaign, there was some work being done on introducing legislation or policies that tackle some of the issues we talked about. Can you tell us um, more about this? Yeah, well, I, I think um, Labour obviously backed the maximum stake on fixed loss betting terminals being £2 and wanted to um, uh, review the Gambling Act in its entirety and look at things like loot boxes and change the definition of gambling and stakes and um, deposit limits online and all that kind of stuff. Um, so really the sort of things that clean up gambling and the agenda that we're trying to, to, to push at the moment, a lot of those things that, that would, have, would, have, um, uh, would have come to fruition had the result gone differently in December. Sure. Um, we've discussed how taking a public health approach could definitely improve the issues for those who are in the cycle of gambling. Do you think it would also increase the pressure on the government? Because if you frame something as a public health issue, then the government is the government has to tackle it in a way. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I think that's I think it's really important and like like public health. Uh, solutions to to these kinds of harms to a harmful consumption sector um, 
they necessitate measures that apply to the, the whole population, such as stake limits, such as um, you know, uh, restrictions on products, um, accessibility, all that sort of stuff. Whereas I think at the moment, the industry is able to get away with uh, considering gambling as, like a, like as if it's um, an impulse control disorder where you, it's not a, like a behavioral addiction. Um, and, and, and they try to pathologize it and say, you know, these are people that can, that are just, their gambling's got a bit out of control. Uh, we can help them be responsible, you know, and, and just completely locating the, the blame on the individuals rather than the industry and divert attention away from, um, from, from their own practices. And I think with a public health model, it's much more difficult to do that. I agree. And um, even within the gambling world, um, there is social inequalities. You see a lot of bookies and casinos in predominantly poorer areas. Uh, does that add to the burden of gambling, do you think? Well, poorer people are more likely to gamble. And um, I think that obviously the social cost of gambling is something that... Um, we all have to, we all have to bear. And, um, you know, as a result of the, the, the inadequate regulation and just and laws, gambling laws, it, it's escalating year on year. And I think, you know, as well as that, gambling companies that operate in Britain aren't paying tax in Britain a lot of the time. So a lot of tax is avoided. They're all based offshore. So really we're exporting a huge amount of money, billions and billions to these companies. And we're importing a hell of a lot of gambling related harm and all the associated costs of it. And obviously that needs to change as well. So, I mean, yes, I mean the, the betting, betting shops and casinos, um, particularly betting shops uh, tend to locate in more deprived areas and tend to do well as a result of it. Um, but online gambling, obviously, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, mu it's, much, it's much more difficult to know, you know, on a demographic level, uh, how many people are gambling. And, but you assume that it's the same and that poorer people are more likely to gamble online as well. Exactly. And um, what recommendations or policies would you, if you, were, if you have the keys to number 10 right now, what policy recommendations would you put forward? Um, apart from the public health approach would you think would work yeah. uh, so firstly a stat statutory levy um that so one percent levy or, ba or calculated based on the need the treatment need and the research need probably around one percent paid to an independent commissioning body um and distributed by distributed independently uh, that'd be the first thing and then there's a review of stakes and prizes online, rigorous deposit limits informed by affordability checks um, online. And then I would have, um, uh, I would ensure that children are not exposed to gambling advertising. And I would also say that if you want to operate in Britain as a gambling company, if you want to operate in the British market, you have to be based in Britain and pay all your taxes in Britain. So all of those things. Thank right, you for that. Um, 
Thank you so much, Matt. That's very informative. Uh, and it, I think it just sheds light on why gambling is such an issue, why it should be treated as an addiction and considered through a public health lens. Um, yeah, uh, I just wanted to say thank you once again. You must be really busy for agreeing to be on our podcast. Um, do you have anything you want to shout out, bring attention to? <laughs> oh, just um, if people can have a look at cleanupgambling.com, that would be great. Um, and, and my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me and good luck with the project. Good luck with thank the podcast. You. Thank you very thank much. Um, next week, guys, we're going to focus on e-cigarettes or vaping as a growing addiction uh, within global health. And we look forward to hearing your comments, your questions regarding this episode. Thank you so much, Matt, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.